you hear people talk about having affairs or things like that, it's always this phrase in the movies like, oh, I never meant to hurt you. And you know, you sit there and you're like, what the, what did you expect? I mean, but the desperate need to feel connection with someone else. I don't want to leave. I just, I just need to feel something for a little bit. Maybe that'll help. You have two separate lives, you're two separate personalities, and you're still the one you want to be desperately. And then there's the other one that, that just takes over. Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Every Thursday, we are sharing a new episode in our Your Story Matters podcast series. This is an opportunity for people from Collective to be real about their brokenness and what God has done and is doing in their lives. These stories will be real and raw and vulnerable, and we hope they encourage and inspire you in your own faith to share your story. To watch the sermons from the Your Story Matters series or to find out more, you can head to www.mycollective.church YSM. We hope you enjoy these stories. Welcome back to the Your Story Matters podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are officially at the halfway point. Um, this is episode 26, um, which feels kind of insane to say out loud. Um, but my hope is that you've joined us for the first half and that you've listened to the other stories. Um, now, if you're picking this one up, maybe you just started checking out Collective or checking out the podcast. Um, definitely listen to this one, but also make sure to go back and listen to the others because um, no two stories are the same. And even though there are a lot of people sharing who have been through similar things, uh, it's not the same. And so I just encourage you to take some time, catch up, listen on your way to work, listen on your walk in the afternoon, um, but hear these stories of um, faith and what God has done and of trials and community and um, really all the things that God can do through the highs and lows of your life. Um, as we hit the second half, I'm so excited uh, to have Mike and Katie with me today um, so you can hear their story. Their story is unique in that um, you know they are together, they're engaged currently, and so much of their story happened pre-engagement. And so we're going to hear two very unique stories and then kind of how they collided a few years ago and um, what God's been doing even in a short amount of time in, in their lives and in their relationship to help them heal and grow and, and feel the safety and security of being with somebody who uh, loves God with them. And so um, I'm really excited for this. I've known Katie for a long time. Um, this will be uh, a good one today. And so Katie, um, same question we ask everybody to kick things off. Tell us about your childhood, who you are, where you grew up, um, and really what was faith like in those early years of, of childhood? Cut to 1993. Now, I, I was born in South Jersey and my family moved to Bel Air, Maryland just in time for me to start kindergarten. Faith has always been a part of my family culture. I mean, anyone that's met my parents knows <laughs> if you have never met someone that exemplifies Jesus in everything they do, it's Karen and Craig. Kern and Craig, as we call them. But yeah, they were counselors at a Christian camp. They just always made going to church, serving at church, having church be your community, um, the center of our, our household. Yeah. I grew up in a relatively large Southern Baptist church in Bel Air. 
It was a really good church. I mean, there was a really good culture there. I was heavily involved in the youth group there. I mean, it was a huge part of my faith. My parents tell me that I technically, I guess, accepted Jesus when I was three. I remember it. Um, it was a conversation before bedtime, and they just asked me questions without leading the conversation, and I was able to answer, and I understood it. But I don't think, I didn't own sure. it for myself sure. until later on. But yeah. going to church on Sunday, serving at church on Sunday, my mom ran the children's ministry in a way at times. She ran vacation Bible school. My dad led an adult Bible study for I don't know how many years. And then Wednesday nights, whether it was kids ministry or youth group, we were always there. Wow. But yeah, youth group was when I really felt like I started to really understand it for myself. Part of it was getting to go away to camp. We think it's super important how the family builds that for you know all children involved but um it's super important for those kids to have time and space away from the family to talk about things and to work through things and so i think that's where my passion for youth ministry came from so (laughs) in school i was like the overachiever for those of you that know rachel she and i went from kindergarten all the way through our senior year of high school together and when we got to high school chris and maggie joined us in that friend group we had this gigantic massive overachieving friend group that just like maxed out all the sports and band and orchestra and uh, ap honors classes and they're like small little nuggets of us in there yeah. but it was always just like, yep, I'm, I'm going to graduate and I'm going to go away to college and I'm going to do, you know, life in this cookie cutter thing and Jesus is going with me and it's going to be great and I'll, you know, meet my husband and we'll get married and we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll serve at church and our kids will serve at church and it'll be just this giant church snowball that yeah. happens. But what happened, neither of my parents went to college. My dad was in the military. My mom just, she did community college, but they felt like... I shouldn't go away to school. And so they they said, nope, you're not applying to any four-year schools. And I'm sitting there watching all of my friends apply and get accepted to these great schools and, you know, scholarships for sports and academic scholarships and, like, feeling like I was going to be left behind. I ended up staying local, of course. And so I migrated from the youth group up into the young adult ministry. Yeah. And there were people that I had grown up with in youth group that migrated up with me that I hadn't seen in a couple years and we, you know, reconnected. And one of those people ended up being my very first official boyfriend. And he's two years older. We grew up in the youth group together. I think I was in seventh grade. And my mom was like, you know what? I want you to marry that guy. And (laughs) that's what happened. I, um, we started spending time together as freshman year of college, so 2006. I was like, this is it, okay. This is why I wasn't supposed to go away to school because I was supposed to connect with this guy and the way we described our relationship was like, it's the three of us. It's it's us and it's Jesus. And we, we did a really good job of digging into our faith together. I remember in those first you know couple years of college, that was the first time I really, really felt like I actually let God take the reins in my life. I just remember growing so much and it felt like we were growing together and and individually and we probably saw each other every day. Wow. 
and we always made a point every time we, you know, would end our date or, you know, family time, whatever it was, um, we always prayed when we were done. The way that we approached, you know, sex and purity and all of that was definitely the Southern Baptist way. True love waits. I'd made the promise. I had a ring. Um, I was, you know, saving myself until marriage. And looking back, should have been one of my first clues that there was a little bit more going on there because he, you know, without like sharing someone else's personal details too much, like he struggled a lot with mental health things. Um, It ran in his family on both sides. He just always worked toward this really high level of perfectionism and leading toward legalism in some cases, especially when it came to faith things. And so um, we weren't even going to kiss until we were married. So he he brought that up and I very happily agreed because, you know, it was like, yeah, we're doing this together. We're making these choices together. It's great. But then it even turned into, you know, we we would just be spending time together and he wanted so badly to not mess up, to not even look at me the wrong way sure. that um, he would physically like block his vision of wow. me with his hand. And everyone thought it was so weird and I should have thought it was weird. Yeah. But it was because I, you know, he shared with me and I understood where he was coming from. So, you know, you're that, you're that age, you're 19, 18, 19, and it's like, okay, well, you say this is you, how you feel. You feel so strongly about sure. this, and I feel strongly about you and what this means, so I'll support it. Yeah, and that is something people have brought up it up in the past, because specifically in Maryland, this community got hit really hard by the I Kiss Dating Goodbye culture because it was the dude wrote the book here. In the book, they talk about, like, you don't date, you court someone, but you shouldn't kiss before marriage because kissing could lead to more. And you don't hold hands before marriage because holding hands could lead to more. You know, Scripture talks about how, like, you should keep the marriage bed pure, and that's so important. But they, like, freaked people out on any sort of connection beyond just spiritual in a relationship. And, like, you're so busy trying not to not press over the line but even approach the line. Mm -hmm. Now— Taking it to the level of like not even looking at you, interesting, because that's such a big part of figuring out if you are compatible, you know? So, um, but again, you're 19 years old. And, and honestly, I think a big part of it for you too, Katie, is your faith is good at this point. Like you owned your growth more, you started reading more and, you, you know, really saying this is my faith now. And so you didn't see the whole like, oh crap, like this is a little bit weird. It was, I yeah. guess this is the next phase of faith and how a relationship ties to that, which is really interesting. Well, and foreshadowing, one of my biggest downfalls in all of this is, was not wanting to take to heart the things that people wiser than me shared with me. Sure. You know, back to Kern and Craig, they just, (laughs) they have such good discernment. And I mean, there are multiple times where my mom would say, you know, that's, why doesn't he look at you? How are you supposed to feel beautiful and, yep. and wanted by yep. him if he's constantly blocking you out. Yep. Which that's also biblical, right? Song of Solomon talks about the way a husband should see his wife. And it's very, because they're, I mean, they're, and they're married in the context of it, but it's very like, um, there's so much adoration and so much desire there. And so, but again, you don't know that. You don't, you don't know that as mm-hmm. really a kid. You're still a kid. Oh Yeah. 
great transition because cut to (laughs) (laughs) cut to april of 2008 so we've been together like a year and a half at this point we both know for a fact that you know this is the person i'm going to marry like i still to this day remember how that felt and i i don't take that back like i know at that time 100 percent confident that we're going to get married now the timeline on that probably should have been different but you know you're you're a kid and you're like nope i know this is i know this is what i'm being led to do so cool let's let's do it right away um and so we were engaged for six months and we got married in october of 2008 i was 19 it was three weeks before i turned 20. oh my gosh and the entire engagement is when things really started to fall apart i was a full-time student and had a part-time job he had gotten a full-time job but he was working nights our schedules did not overlap at all we didn't get to see each other we would do like a daily phone call in the evening for maybe like 15 minutes before he had to go um, start his shift for the night and watching him struggle with this anxiety of like we're we're planning a wedding i'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of the relationship and so of course that was taken to extreme levels and all with good intentions of course sure you know he was so afraid of them being a bad husband what if i make mistakes there it was always just what if i make a mistake what if i make a mistake and he held himself to such a high standard that no one including himself matched up to that and so it was this constant i just watched this constant battle in his mind and so those 15 minutes a day were full of tension and anger and so all it felt like all we did was not argue but just face this wall of like doom yeah for the six months and so many people approached me and said you know i mean you don't have to do this now right you can still be engaged and you can still get married. It can be later. And, and my honest, genuine response was, well, yeah, but everyone tells you marriage is hard. So if I'm going to turn tail and run the second this gets hard, what does that say about me and, and our commitment to getting married? So went through with it, <laughs> got married in October. And you can imagine going from uh, not even looking at me to suddenly, oh, we're allowed to have sex now. And it's like, but I actually jumped through hoops that whole time to make sure that I wasn't making problems for him. Sure. You know, what am I wearing? What what do I look like? What am I saying? Or how close are we sitting? And and so for me to go from that to immediately being allowed to like, oh, cool, you're naked. I'm naked. What is happening right now? Did you, guys, did you guys kiss on your wedding day? Yep. Okay. First kiss so was our wedding day. So that was the first kiss day. in front of everybody. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the leading up to a marriage, there's always going to be stress. The problem is a lot of people think that, well, once we get married, all of those things will go away because I'm not planning a wedding. We live together. We're not ships passing in the night and all that stuff. And, and part of that's true. Like your life does change. But the root cause of those things, the anxiety, the the pressure, the shame, you know, the, all those things you feel, they just manifest in other ways. Mm-hmm. And so for those of you listening who are pre-marriage right now, because uh, I know many of you are, if you're sitting in those places, like you have to work through this now. You can't just chalk it up as, oh, once the ceremony's over and all the planning's done, this goes away. Because those feelings come from something. 
right? And so you just carry maybe not the same cause, but but you sit in the effect. You know, once you marry, it's just a whole new group of things, yep. but the feelings are similar. Yeah. If you're listening right now and that's you, that's us too. Let's let's talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compare notes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because you guys are are pre-marriage right now. Yep. And there's you have two different careers, two different parts of life. But I think we've been through enough, yeah. like in our past that. Yeah. I think we're doing a pretty good job. I'm I'm pretty impressed with yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely things that are hard, but I think the way that we manage it, I mean, we just we're yeah. a good team. Like I I think it's less the least amount of stress I felt probably ever. Yeah. And I think it's just cuz I've got a good partner in crime. Yeah. like it it's it is it is weird and it does work this way. Like people who've been through a lot in their life, the stress of the wedding isn't as stressful cuz they're like, "Hey, we've been through harder things separately." But now we, you know, so now the hardest thing is to figure out how to do it together. Um, so, yeah, it is very different, especially when you're 19 years old, um, you know, compared to in your 30s. When you're Absolutely. like, hey, we've been through some stuff. Solo, you know, or I've together. Seen and stuff. Things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't know. You don't know what yeah. you don't know when you're that young. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that's the downside of being a smart kid, too, is like you're smart, but there's so much you don't know yes. and so it gives you this weird confidence yep <sighs> yeah and we I joke about like young married couples but I was 23 and Ray was 22 I don't think like age it's neither here nor there really um, it's more of how you handle the things that are in front of you it's hard when you're young mm-hmm. and you guys you know that right so you yeah. step into this marriage you're 19, 19 years old and you know obviously like just getting married doesn't fix things oh yeah we had just spent the last six months arguing so now now we're married um the first couple months after that we actually we lived in his parents basement for the first month that we were married because with all the stress and everything um he wanted to be the one to find the apartment and as anyone with mental health stuff knows myself included now big tasks not easy to do so um, it got put off, and of course, that was another thing that he beat himself up about. And so we eventually move into this apartment, and nothing's better. And I just remember having this like heart-crushing feeling for him, watching him go through this all the time. I mean, my my family was pretty healthy mental health-wise, and so I did not have any kind of experience supporting someone going through that in a healthy way you know I I'm the wife now I'm supposed to be the encourager and the supporter and the safe place and he would he would tell me that you know in the in the middle of venting about something that was going wrong you know he would say I'm just glad I have you because you're like the one place I feel like safe and encouraged and I'm glad you're here and so in my young mind, was like, okay, well, then I can only be positive to him. I can't, I can't say when I feel sad or yep. neglected or stressed out because then he's going to feel like he's shouldering my burden, which every person's different. Just because yep. I felt like I was shouldering his doesn't mean that that would have been his response. Um, and it's just this giant lesson in communication that... I feel like I'm very good at now because I had to learn the hard way. Yeah. So I was the safe place. I just had to, I turned into a doormat. Yeah. I didn't know I did, and he didn't ask me to. It's just the natural path that things took. And 
our first Christmas, a couple months later, I remember, you know, it was this discussion of like, well, I want to, I want us both to decorate because, you know, normally the wife's the one that does that, but I never had an apartment either. And I, I want to be part of it and I want to do something about it, but I feel completely overwhelmed. So we can't, we can't do these things until I feel comfortable with it. So I remember getting in the dumbest argument over the Christmas tree and getting yelled at and going and hiding in my room like, well, it's December, two months into my marriage. That's supposed to be the rest of my life. And here I am crying at Christmas. Yeah. That's kind of the way things went for a while. It was just me pushing down feeling anything that I was dealing with because I felt like what he was dealing with was so much heavier. And I was wrong. I should have reached out to people more. I mean, thankfully, I had always been close with my parents and my brother, my younger brother. He's like one of my best friends. So I had them to reach out to when things were happening, but we gradually went from being the three of us to any any kind of thing um, that felt like a mistake or like you know feeling convicted for him was too much, and so that's anything when you're close with Jesus, you know you start to you, the mirrors held up and you see all your mistakes, and so then it was me and Jesus, and that was hard. In 2010, uh, a chunk of our church in in Bel Air actually planted a church it would you know hear about churches splitting and dividing and it wasn't anything negative it was like a cool let's let's take a good part of ourselves and go somewhere else in the county that needs it and so the young adult pastor was the one that was planting that and we happened to be like best friends with him and his wife and best friends with this other couple that um that guy ended up being the worship pastor and so like the six of us were like this nugget and, you know, they were like, we want you guys to come along. We want you to be part of the launch team. We want you to lead Bible study together because, you know, the two of you are great. And so at that point, it was early enough on that it was good and bad back and forth. Sure. Like there were bad times. There were good times. You know, in my mind, again, marriage is hard. This is just what it looks like. <laughs> and it's like they say about, you know, abusive relationships where it's like, putting a frog in a pot of water and slowly boiling it versus tossing the frog in. Sure. It was a slow boil. As anyone in a an intimate relationship knows, like your physical relationship for a woman especially is tied to what the emotional relationship sure. looks like. And so I just didn't feel it. And I remember one week specifically, he didn't talk to me for the entire week. Like no words if I would say something to him. He wouldn't respond back. He would turn his back on me, and I was so confused. I like I did not know what was yeah. happening. I I I thought, well, obviously I did something wrong. Like I did something. I must have been too present. You know, my my presence was too big <laughs> sure, for him at the sure. time. And then at the end of the week, he sat me down and he said, "How'd that feel?" And I said, "It felt terrible." What do What do you <laughs> mean? And he was like, "Well, that was a lesson. I wanted you to feel what it feels like when." we don't have a physical relationship. When we don't have a physical relationship, this is how you make me feel. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, you could have just said that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, just, I like, instead of cutting me out, icing me out for a week and having me just like wallow in confusion and misery. Yeah. So it was a regular thing at that point if he was too overwhelmed with things going on. Even me being there in the apartment or in the house was too much. Wow. And so... 
that's when the the hand blocking the vision would come back up again but it wasn't because he was trying not to look at me the wrong way he just literally couldn't be around another person which shows you i mean how much he was dealing with internally yeah like i'm, I'm not gonna sit here and be like what a monster it, yeah, was, yeah. it was so hard to watch but by that point i had been reduced to a, like a shell of yeah. myself i mean my anyone that i still have a close relationship that knew me at that point was like yeah you are not you are not katie yeah so were people like specifically those two other couples were they aware that something was going on or were you, so they knew yeah yeah i remember one night we were over at the worship pastor's house and something had happened they'd asked me about something I think it was our, there was a mission trip we were doing um, to South Asia, and I was going. And again, remember, it was just me and Jesus. It, he, we didn't talk about it at home. We didn't pray at home anymore. It, it was too much. And so he didn't see me do those things because I felt like it was going to push a button. So I just had my personal relationship with Jesus. But what it looked like to him was that I didn't have faith anymore. Sure. I, I wasn't growing anymore. And so when I decided to go on this mission trip, he was mad and he told people like she's just doing that to look good and so I th- I'm pretty sure we were standing in their kitchen talking about that and there's this brown paper grocery bag on the counter between us and he just not even subtly <laughs> slid it into place between the two of us and the two of them just looked at me like what is happening and I just kept talking and later on you know I got a message from the wife why why did he okay yeah. block you out. I said, probably because he doesn't like that I'm going on this mission trip. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, but I mean, we, we were such a big part of that, starting that church. That was my first experience with portable church. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I mean, there's a trailer. We packed up church every week and the trailer lived at our house and wow. he drove the trailer. And it's my checklist of things I did at that church is almost as long as what I've done here in terms of serving but we pulled the trailer I ran the kid check station for a while Um, I was on the the rotation for that I taught second and third grade Sunday school until there was a youth group Um, and then you know I helped with the youth group once it was started he played in the worship band and you know it was like every every Sunday because you know any anyone that plays like drums or bass knows there's never anyone <laughs> yeah. so it's the same person so um, yeah Mike you know about that <laughs> we I mean technically we were listed as adult small group leaders but I was really the one that facilitated those discussions yeah. and so like we were in it and when we were there it was great um, but like I had always envisioned going and serving with my husband and sitting in church together and we studied together and even then the the pressure from making a mistake playing was too much and so um, he couldn't ever bring himself to sit in the service because he had too much anxiety about the next service or the next song and so I just I always sat by myself (laughs) so you know I just I just paint that picture so that everyone understands you know how heavily we were involved and how close we were with the church leadership Um, and eventually it just got to this point where like he was sleeping on the couch. Um, he spent lots and lots of time. He was in the film and media industry. So he was an editor 
a lot and so editing takes a long time so he'd stay up all night working on something to make sure it was perfect and like I will say he did such a good job on that kind of stuff but it it was consuming and so we weren't spending any time together either and I just was like man I this is the rest of my life like well (laughs) will I ever feel loved it was rough so naturally when attention from somewhere came along it was like there was no resistance whatsoever yeah like i had been waiting so long to feel like someone wanted to be around um and that was i it's hard to even remember the timeline right now there were a couple things that happened over the years that like you know i ended up like whoops i should not have put myself in that situation um and there was one in particular that I definitely had an interaction I should not have had, but it was like, it was a, a quick thing. It wasn't a relationship and it sure. wasn't someone that I had like built something with. But I, we were having dinner with the pastor and his wife that night and she and I happened to walk to the bathroom at the same time. And I was like, look, this just happened and I need to tell him about it. And I'm telling you first so that I'm being held accountable and someone knows and um so I told him what happened and naturally he was upset and I got essentially put on house arrest I was in grad school at the time which was also my job and so I wasn't allowed to go anywhere but church or school or work or like my parents house I had to text him when I was leaving and text him when I got there and there weren't allowed to be any men there. And if I said someone was there that he didn't know, I had to send him a picture of who was there. And of course I was like, so distraught. Like I, this is my fault. I did this. I, I brought this on myself. So yeah, I will accommodate whatever he wants. But that went on for a couple of months and I, and that was like the final straw. It just, it broke me. I couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, and so it started building walls. I had walls around my heart. Um, it was in survival mode at that point. And then a situation did present itself and I was not in a good place to say no. Yeah. And I slept with someone else and I thought I was broken before that, but man, that, that was rock bottom. And so I was terrified to tell him about it. Because, again, I mean, hey, marriage is for life, right? Like, we don't split over anything. Like, divorce is not a word. Divorce sure. is not an option was, you know, that's what we said going into it. And there's so much shame around it. And so, you know, I was trying to build up the courage to say it. And what I felt like I needed was therapy, right? It's like, I need I need to get help. Yeah. Um, I need someone to help me be brave. <laughs> and so I did. I went and met with a counselor. Actually, I wanted us to kind of go together, but sure, that was something that sure. he hadn't really wanted to do. Again, when you're so hard on yourself, having someone else, you know, speak into those things sure. and call you out is excruciating. So from where he was mentally at that point, I totally get that. So, yeah, I went and I met with her and... We got to the end and she just kind of stared at me and said, I've never had someone under the age of 30 sit here and tell me so much that has happened in a marriage in this short period of time. 
Um, at that point, I think it was six years in. Wow. And so she was like, get yourself to a safe spot quickly. Um, and she said, what that looks like is just someone who loves Jesus, someone who's going to point you in that direction, someone who's not going to make you feel ashamed for the things you've done because that's just going to push you further away. Um, and she said, you know, don't, don't think of it as like leaving right now. You're just, you're temporarily getting yourself somewhere so that you can get your head and your heart straight. Yeah. And naturally you can imagine who I went to. <laughs> yeah. Mom and dad. I lived at mom and dad's house for that whole fall. Wow. Fall of 2014. And we went back to dating. He would come and see me every day and we would spend time together and it was getting better. Um, and then winter of 2015, like January 2015, he had convinced me to come back. And it was like, this is, you know, I miss you so much and we, you know, this this sucks. This isn't a marriage. And I, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, oh, it wasn't before either. Yeah. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was doing good for us. I went back and it was good. It was good for a few weeks. I mean, you know, I mentioning before of like decorating the house and all of that. That whole time leading up to that, I had never been allowed to do what a woman does and make a, a house a home. And so he knew he'd been keeping me from that. So he did He did sweet things like, here, here's some sample paint colors and you can finally paint what you want and we can get this and that. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really mention before, um, at that point he finally had a full-time job. The whole The first four or so years of our marriage, I was the only one with a steady job and I supported us on a part-time yeah. job. And then he had part-time things here and there. So money was always a big stressful thing too. So he was finally financially stable and it was like, okay, <laughs> here we are. We're like coming out of the trenches. And then as soon as the first sign of, you know, our normal life reared its ugly head, it was that much more excruciating because I had finally been removed from it. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, that was being thrown back into the boiling pot and all the progress that I had made, you know, and, and when it comes to my faith through yeah. all of that too, yep. I, of course that was rocky. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily make choices like that when your faith is super strong. Yep. That's when you, you know, really surround yourself with the right community and things like that. And so I was who I wanted to be and who I had been before when I was actively with those people, when I was at church, when I was serving, when I was spending quality time with those friends but as soon as i would you know step away from church or have a, a normal work day during the week or you know it was just him and i then it went right back to yeah. feeling like i was at the bottom so someone else appeared that month of january and that felt amazing it was like okay this is what i was looking forward to and and I'll say too, you know, when you hear people talk about having affairs or things like that, or when they had an affair, you know, that's always this phrase in the movies, like, oh, I never meant to hurt you. And, you know, you sit there and you're like, what the heck, what did you expect? I mean, obviously, but I understand it a lot more now. There's, there's two things that happen. There's either just the desperate need to feel connection with someone else um, that leads you to it, or there is the well, you've hurt me, so I'm going to hurt sure. you kind. And it 
it was never that. I I never did it to hurt him. Um, the other feelings were just consuming, though. That that covered everything else. I was like, I just need connection. I don't even want to replace him. I don't want to. I don't want to leave. I just I just need to feel something for a little bit. Maybe that'll help. You know, if you listened to. Chris and Maggie's story, Chris describes it so well where it's like you become two separate people. Yeah. You have two separate lives, you're two separate personalities, and you're still the one you want to be desperately. And then there's the other one that, that yep. just takes over. Um, and so that's what was happening. And and obviously, you know, anyone that's going to get involved with someone who's already married is not, not necessarily it. a quality individual. Yeah. So, you know, a few weeks into messaging and you know emotional affairs are a real thing yeah. um but I, d- I did sleep with that guy yeah. um you know he was like i actually don't feel great about this and i said yeah you shouldn't i like i don't either but at this point i've got armor around my heart so it's like the logical parts coming in yeah yeah you're right this is not right i know this is not right but man Have I been missing this for years? Um, And so I never intended to, like, try to find or or start a new relationship, but I wanted that feeling. And so when he dipped out, naturally, someone else appeared too. And so it, it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, I cheated on my husband with a person. There was a handful of people. Yeah. And... It's disgusting. I feel disgusting talking about it. But it was over a very short period of time. And then eventually that faith foundation, because the foundation is strong um, with me, eventually, you know, no matter what the enemy is whispering in your ear or dangling in front of your face, Jesus is right there too. And, you know, it was like, all right, you feel more miserable in a different way than the other misery. So... Do this the right way. Tell him what's happening. Stop and try to fix things from here. And the interesting thing is right around then is when I started working on the river in Harpers Ferry while living in Bel Air. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and the part that had it come to light was that very first guy was working there too. Um, and at the time I was not involved with him, but he was there. Wow. And so... I went to the pastor's wife and I told her, just like before, it was like, I need to do this and going right to him is really scary and so I'm gonna tell someone that I know is gonna hold me accountable. And I just felt this huge weight lift off and so I was like, I'm telling you now and then I am telling him on this day in a week and I'm spending this whole week just facing God. Um, which doesn't feel good. But the great thing is he doesn't care. He doesn't care what yeah. we've done as long as yep. you know we see it and, and we know that he's taking care of that for us. Yeah, so you know that part in a horror movie where you get to the end and it's, you know, the main character has like escaped whatever it is and you the sky parts and it's all bright sunlight. And then there's that evil twist mm-hmm. where you realize they're still they're still trapped in it and they realize it and then it's like cut to black and there's the credits yeah Yeah, so (laughs) before I got a chance to go talk to him and she's given me permission to share this um 
the pastor's wife came to me and said, actually, I've been doing the same thing. It was suddenly like, not only did the weight of my situation come crashing down on my shoulders, now I'm like, okay, I love you. And I, and I understand from a horrific, terrible sure. perspective, but wow. And so from that point right there, the next couple of months, my crumbling marriage became incredibly twisted with the pastor of my church's wow. crumbling marriage. Wow. It was like the light was right there and I was so ready to... <laughs> and so I did, I did eventually, it wasn't one I had planned, but I did tell him his response. I mean, of course he was devastated, but... His response was, well, I don't feel like you would have done this if I had actually been treating you the way that I should have, if I'd been loving you the way that I should have. And he was like, I forgive you. Let's, let's work on this. Wow. Of course I was like, okay, this is okay. And so in this conversation of being super open and honest, I said, all right, well, you know, this guy, like, works at River and Trail, right? Um, and so, you know, he said, I, we'll work on it, we're good, but I need you I need you to quit this job. And of course, right, the logical part of my brain is like, absolutely, yeah, I totally sense. understand that. Yeah. And then the emotional side was like, man, but like this River community of people, they have taken such good care of me the last few months. And so it was like him asking me to give up what had been supportive for something that was not, and Correct. that was scary. And so I explained that. I was like, I I wanna say yes to you right now on this. Um, I need you to just give me like a couple of flexible days to like mentally work my way sure. up, emotionally work my way up to giving up this thing that I love now. And he said, okay, I'll give you a little bit of time. And we neither of us described what time meant for us. Sure, <laughs> yeah, which communication so, things all over again. Yeah, so two days later, he uh, he comes to me and he's like, I can't have you be here while you're still mentally there. Like, you, you haven't told me you're quitting yet, so I need you to get out. That shattered any of the progress I had made, and so I was starting from square one again. So when I stayed with my friend, um, because my parents were out of town, you guys are all going to cheer for Craig in a second. <laughs> but he he went to their house. And, like, as soon as they got home from being out of town and was like, hey, so this happened. You know, it, what Katie did didn't even give me a chance to share with them because I was very open before. They knew about the other things that had happened, obviously. I mean, I had lived in their house. And my dad goes, well, what was your part in all of this? Wow. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. Because they were. I mean... They're so incredibly respectful of my brother and I as adults. No matter what they see us doing or mistakes they see us making, they they know as good parents, and I don't know, you, you as a parent know, like you just kind of guess yeah. and like hope it's the right thing, right? Yeah. So they just, they did it the right way. And this whole time, you know, he tells them and I'm still living at my friend's house and like, going through these small steps of like, okay, I'm working back up to it. Like, divorce isn't an option. I promised. I promised God. I promised myself. I promised everyone. Like, we can do this. God can fix anything. And then something else would happen. And so this is where our situation being intertwined with the pastor's situation comes to a head. Yeah. 
you know, there, there's so much shame wrapped up in being honest. And it's one thing to tell my husband and it's one thing to tell my family, but it's a whole other thing to have the youth group kids that sure. I lead know something's wrong or, you know, the adults that I've led in small group know something is wrong. And that's where Collective does such a good job of just reminding people over and over again that everyone is broken and everyone is messed up and we are constantly living that reality. And so if someone you look up to messes up, it doesn't mean that everything you've ever known about them crumbles. Yep. It just means they're a broken human yep. that can also love Jesus at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and looking back, I mean, that church community would have supported and loved me just fine. But I convinced myself that there was too much shame in what I did. Sure. And, it, and I didn't want people to know, or at least I cringed at the thought of people knowing. At that point, it's like, well, <laughs> this is my community. They're going to have to know. Yeah. Um, so... At that time, then the pastor suspects things are happening and I'm in a weird place where I'm dealing with my own crap. And to go to him and be like, hey, so my best friend, your wife, is doing these things. Like, where's the black and white in that? It's such a gray area. You know, it's like, well, she should be the one to tell him. She should be the one to go forward with it. Um, But at what point do you watch friends do terrible things? You know, same thing. She watched me do terrible things. So like, how do you do that? Right. It's messy. He at that point was calling around to people he knew spent a lot of time with her and very aggressively, like even showing up at their houses and demanding that they tell him what's going on. And none of those people go to that church anymore. (laughs) Um, But when you put yourself in his shoes too, it's like, I'm a pastor. Everyone is looking at my family. You know, how does this, I've got to get to the bottom of this. And some of it was that. And some of it's just how an individual reacts to their life exploding. Well, and like I shared this in Chris and Maggie's podcast, like you need, I uniquely understand that scenario where all of a sudden you go to this spirally place of like, who knew? Why didn't they tell me? Do they not want to protect this church? And and really, to be honest, like speaking from my own vulnerability, it just comes from a place of my own fear. And that is a really tricky thing with with pastors is we're put into these roles where, and and I understand why this happens. I hate it, but I understand it. Like where people assume that we're the, the, we have the best prayer life. We have the best worship life. We read our Bible the most, you know, we are the most healthy spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And it's like, I think about collective, I'm like, I will very honestly say there are people here who have a better prayer life than I do. And there are people here who read more scripture than I do. There are people here that know how to lead this church better than I do, you know, but God's asked me to do this, you know, and this is anybody, but specifically pastors have this tension when something goes wrong, the bottom falling out terrifies them. And if they are not healthy, it doesn't matter if the church is growing. If they are not healthy, the first time something like this happens, you see all of it. Yeah. So I keep making these little baby steps to like, all right, I'm going to quit the job and we're going to commit to this and we're going to do the hard work. Two weeks from the time that we have our conversation, I hadn't gone to church that next Sunday because couldn't face it. It took everything I had to walk in those doors that Sunday. Like, who knows? What have they yeah. been told? I, I, do they, they can see, they can see it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I walk in. And I look to my right, and my husband's right there, and he, like, looks at me. He's like, I'm really glad you're here. 
And I was like, thanks, I'm terrified. And then I look to my right and there's the pastor and he locks eyes with me and like deer in the headlights, this is gonna be terrible. And to this day, I don't know exactly what the details of this situation were, but the long and short of it is he had written out a letter to the church that day that he was having the worship pastor read that was like, this is what my wife did. Um, here's what's happening. And he's going to, you know, from what I've been told, um, it was not like gentle or gracious or sure. anything. It wasn't like, a, all right, I'm just going to, it was kind of like a, a finger pointing sort of thing. Sure. Um, but I was asked to leave. And I was told it was because he was going to read that letter and it made him uncomfortable that I was there. Um, but I, I cannot remember. I'm pretty sure my husband was the one that told me. It was like, hey, the pastor needs you to leave because the worship pastor is going to read this thing. So when I told my parents that, they, of course, were like, they went to him yeah. and were like, why did you ask our daughter to leave? And then it was, I didn't ask her to leave. Well, the worship pastor felt uncomfortable reading it with her there. And then, you know, of course, his wife is still my other best friend. And she says, that's not the case. So I have no idea sure, who actually sure. wanted me to leave that day. Yeah. But that was the breaking point. Took everything I had to walk through the doors. Yeah. Walked out. Yep. Didn't walk out on God. I, I wasn't angry at God. I wasn't hurt by God. I wasn't even like wrestling with my faith it was the biggest heaviest boulder of shame yeah. on my shoulders so that was um like june of 2015 okay and i had what i had in my car and i drove out to harper's ferry and I lived out of my car from <laughs> June until like September or October of wow. that year. Um, one, because I felt like I was still, because I wasn't choosing to go right back and actively work on things, I felt like I couldn't ask my parents to stay at their house. I felt like I'm asking them to support me doing something wrong, um, which is dumb. Sure. <laughs> You're also in a place, though, where if you want to pursue healing, whether that's in your marriage or in yourself personally, the community that's like the safety net and the the support that like fills in the gaps as you keep trying to like build up and up and up, that's gone. So you essentially running away, you know, oh, and just yeah. saying, hey, I'm done with this. It's like, it makes sense because you would have to rebuild all the things where you grew up, which was, which is already attention, right? It's like you grew up there, Bel Air's not a small place, but it feels like a small place. Can be, yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Frederick has that vibe sometimes. People yep. go through things in Frederick and they're like, I can't live here anymore. It's like, I get that. Like, you, you can, but man, does it feel like every store you walk into, you're going to, and sometimes, oh, it, yeah. it, sometimes you do them. bump into those people, you know. <laughs> True. But at that point, you don't, you don't have a church community to fall back on. Your best mm -hmm. friend is going through her own mm -hmm. struggle, you know. And my other best friend, who I destroyed in this process, she was just waiting there to love me. You know, the three of us were like this tight-knit unit, and so suddenly I'm gone. The pastor's sure. wife is sure. gone. Yep. She doesn't have – she's abandoned, like, with all of this – 
crumbling stuff happening. Yeah. Um, but me walking into church that Sunday was so hard because my husband went into my messages and found messages between the pastor's wife and I, details about like interactions that had occurred. And so he found those and sent them to the pastor and hard copies of our conversations were printed out and distributed to key people. So little things like that happened all summer when I was living out of my car. So, but at this point, I, I physically did not know how to talk to him about things. So this looks to him like I'm just gone. So he's got to yeah. make choices. So yep. he um, reached out and said, hey, you know, I'd like to file for divorce, you know, like mutual consent. And that was rough because I really, I was battling myself in it too. Like, I no, I don't want that. We didn't say we were going to do that. We said we were going to work on it. <laughs> but of course, dead silence from me. Sure. So when I didn't really respond to that, then it was, all right, if you don't agree to this, I'm going to file for fault divorce and everyone's going to know what you did. That was enough to convince me. So he filed, he got a lawyer. I just was like along for the ride. You know, I didn't want to actively participate in any of it because I still was like, I don't want this. I don't think he did either. So May 2016, you know, we went and met with the magistrate. It's it's not a courtroom or anything at that yeah. point. And the guy is sitting there and you're there with your witness and they kind of read through the details and they have to ask, you know, is there any reason you think this shouldn't go through? And I remember like he asks both of you and, you know, I'm sitting across and I like kind of make an eye contact with his dad and I can tell his dad's, you know, broken his family was incredible. Like his parents were amazing. Um, I paused, like, all right, do I say no, I don't want to do this or not? And then it was like, I'm just so tired. So I lied. <laughs> I lied and said, no, I don't think this can be fixed. And that, that was it. And then about a month later, I start dating a guy from the river. I'd never been loved so well in my life, but you know, once I started to heal more, then of course I I started to crave yeah. my relationship with Jesus and that church community and the discussions he and I had about things. He wasn't against it. Um, he even had, you know, faith, but he had lost his brother to a drug overdose and was very angry with God about that. Yep. And so eventually that caused a ton of tension between us. Things got too expensive where I was living, and so I ended up actually moving in with him, which I, the old Katie never would have done, living together for a couple of months. And I was like, I got to get out of this. I am craving church community. Of course, naturally knowing Rachel and Maggie and Chris already, yeah. this is when uh, Project Frederick starts <laughs> yeah, appearing yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I messaged with Maggie back and forth a little bit that fall, like, hey, I I'm in, like, I'm on board. I want to come check this out. And so, you know, she would let me know when something was happening, a bonfire here or there, yeah. meeting at someone's house, and my schedule never matched up with it. And it wasn't even like a, oh, well, my schedule doesn't match up. Like, it literally did not match up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first time I was able to come to anything at Collective was Easter of 2017. Yeah. There was still, there was no building. There were no Sunday services. Yep. It was pre-launch. It was at it Delaplane was a, Plain Art yeah. Center. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was our idea of, we had this community of people that were saying, hey, I want to be a part of this church, but we weren't launching yet until the fall. So we did Easter together. I, I remember you showing up because like we had done something similar at Christmas and maybe there was like one guest, 
right? But everybody else was like people that we knew or friends of friends, family of friends that we kind of like brought in. But that Easter, there were people that showed up and we're like, oh crap, mm-hmm. like this is a thing. Like, this, this, we, you know, we know, I, like I knew of you yeah. from, from the Wells and the Thompsons, but it was like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is a, people want to be here. But for you, it was like the beginning of leaning back in. Yep, like jumping back in, yeah. honestly. I showed up and I never left. Again, there was no Sunday services. There was a downtown collective that oh, met at the Wells house. Yep. And I think it was just New Market at that yep. time too. There were just two. And I showed up that first night and then, you know, sat there and participated the whole thing. And it was prayer request time. <laughs> I was like, no longer will I struggle in silence. I'm just going to be open and vulnerable with whoever. And I was like, hey guys, uh, Nice to meet y'all. Thanks for having me. So um, I'm living with this guy and I'm not cool with it. And so I'm probably just going to be homeless again soon until I can figure out how to deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I remember. um, So I wasn't in the group at the time. I was leading the other one. (laughs) And that night I get a text. It's probably from the Wells. And they're like, we say, you know, collect church for the rest of us. And, you know, it's for lost and broken people. I think it's working. And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But, but Katie, one of the things that we still talk about in the history of collective is, you know, the, the culture, right? You mentioned this earlier. We wanted a culture of vulnerability and we wanted a culture of honesty and people being willing to talk about their brokenness and what God's doing in their lives. And the thing is at that time, it was kind of a theory. Like we, it was a passion. It was a burden. Like I have this notebook where I wrote these things down. Like, this is what collective is going to be like. But we, we still talk about how like that was the moment when it kind of became real, where it wasn't just a theory. Um, and it wasn't just this idea of like, I mean, I hope people can come to this church and be real about what's going on. And you didn't even have a full clue. Like that's, I mean, you <laughs> felt it, but like that this was like, we got to figure this out. And your vulnerability that night kind of kicked this thing into high gear. And I know it was really hard for you. And there was some trust because you knew some people there. And even that was, mm. there's a gap in between you knowing them. So there's that weirdness of like, yeah, they know old Katie. How are they going to respond to this, you know, scenario that, that you're going through? But that kind of that switch of like, this is the church that we want to be to this is the church that we are very much happened that night. Yep. And we realized um, the people sitting in that room were not uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable in the way of like, holy crap, but like not uncomfortable in the way of like, I can't go to a church like this. Um, what's crazy, though, is like for you specifically, what well, you'd been through so much, you were that was like the beginning of healing you know trying to figure out who who are you as an adult who's not married right and who are you as someone who loves jesus but it's just your faith what we're going to do right here uh, for those of you listening anytime there's a two-parter there's always the cliffhanger and so we're going to pause here episode one um, and when we get back katie's going to share a little bit more of her story and mike's going to jump in and, and share his and how do these two things match up and how do they bring them to the place we are right now. And so thank you for listening to this episode. Part two comes next week.